What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 30 of the Normal Guy Lazy Eye podcast, the show where we talk to way cooler people than just a normal guy with a lazy eye. That's me, your host, Jared Magazine, here with another great interview with the ultimate sales savage. That's right. We have Ross Pomerantz, who is better known as Corporate Bro on Instagram. He is an ultimate sales savage, the king of sadness, and deemed uh, the champion of a, of the mid-level sales rep uh, by some. He he runs Corporate Bro. He's an absolute uh, comedian. I mean, the conversation that we had was very funny. It was right before Christmas. We we you know he was tossing back a few beverages, and uh, it was a great time. We we absolutely had a blast. I know a lot of my sales savages out here were anticipating this interview. So this one's definitely for you guys. It's funny, actually, about a year ago today, I wrapped up my college swimming career and was getting ready to take that leap into the quote unquote real world. Um, you know, I took a sales job in December of my senior year. So I had already lined it up before my career was ending. But um, that that night that I was sitting there, I just finished my last mile and uh, it was like a, a big a big realization that swimming was in my rearview mirror and this corporate life was was right in front of me. But the thing that sales has done for me is really bring back the aspects of swimming that I really enjoyed, the competitiveness, the you know, doing everything that I can to be the best. It's with swimming, it was so so non-political in the sense that if you're going to get to a, a best time or you're going to get to the best time on the team, you got to put the work in. And the same thing goes for sales. If you want to be the number one rep, you got to put the hours in, you got to get to that number. So it's stuff like that, that I've really enjoyed about sales. And it definitely reflects in this interview. It was a great time. I hope you guys all enjoy it and take it for what it is. Here is the best interview with Corporate Bro. This is the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast, a true eye-opening experience. All right, our next guest is Ross Pomerantz, better known as Corporate Bro. He is a content creator and a sales savage. With over 15,000 YouTube subscribers and 190,000 Instagram followers, he's been featured in Yahoo Finance as an outlet of his own frustration for the corporate world, but a global stage where he can display his authentic thoughts. Also deemed a meme account and the champion of the mid-level salespeople by Erica Nardini, CEO of Barstool Sports. He's a creative genius, people, and he deserves your respect, and he's still waiting for your reply on that outbound email. Corporate, thank you so much for joining us, man. Welcome to the show. Just an absolute tremendous honor to be here. Thanks for having me. I hope I did you a little bit better than, than uh, Token CEO in the intro. Do you, what, what, how did you rate it? The bar is not terribly high to do better. Than that, but yes, you did much. You did much better than than she did. You did your that, research, I guess, is what we could say. That and and that was my promise to you when I when I told you to come on. So I, I at least that was my goal. So I appreciate that. So we're recording this a couple of days before the Christmas holiday. Are you are you ready to say goodbye to 2020? How are you doing? Oh, I'm so over 2020. It's unbelievable. I, I so like people are trying to book me to like come speak on new year's eve and like new year's day i was like i'm sorry i have a year that i need to put to rest forever like yeah. i'm not going to do anything except for probably just rage that day and just celebrate the fact that it's almost over who who's trying to book you on new year's eve who's telling their people to log in on zoom on new year's eve i don't know i don't know <laughs> i don't know i think it's probably not even it's you know somebody and their friends like 
not necessarily like a company sanctioned event. I can't right. imagine. Right. Uh, but they're right. asking. And I was like, nah, not nah. <laughs> push it out a week. Put in my out of office on those for sure. <laughs> I, yeah. That's just, that's a no for me, dog. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So before we get into sadness, corporate bro and everything that you've done, I wanted to back up a little bit. So you grew up in Atlanta. Your mom was in corporate finance. Dad covered sports for the Washington Post. My dad's favorite team, formerly known as the Washington Redskins, also named Ross. So no correlation, but thought that was fun. <laughs> uh, what was life like in the Pomerantz household? Oh, man. Um, so yeah, I grew up in Atlanta, as you said. Uh, the biggest difference between Atlanta and the Bay Area when I moved was, one, I had a backyard in Atlanta, like a massive backyard, like a forest. Right. And I knew all the neighborhood kids through like five blocks. So we would just show up at each other's house, obviously pre-cell phone, or just be like, you know, pick up the landline. Yo, I'm coming over. All right, bye. Like literally just like <laughs> tell them I'm coming over, run down like seven houses to my friend's house. Um, you know, we did like outdoor shit. You know, right. we would like build forts in the woods and throw dirt at each other and play street hockey. You know, normal, normal kid shit. Yeah, um, exactly. Then I moved out to the Bay and everybody would like swear and everybody lived like people, some people lived in the Marin County. Some people lived in the East Bay. Some people lived in the North Bay. You couldn't just like walk to your friend's house because they lived 20 minutes away by car. Right. So that was a big difference. I mean, I was the oldest of two or sorry, three, <laughs> two brothers. <laughs> Forget <laughs> the other one. <laughs> yeah, no, my sister is, is uh, seven years younger. So my younger brother and younger sister. Um, and I don't know, we're pretty normal, did sports stuff. I did, I mean, I was a weirdo. I did, did weird. I, I did this weird, and I've been telling this story lately. I don't know why. I feel like it's some, something I just had to get off my chest. It's like, I used to go around in the backyard in Georgia with a, like a mallet and a red wagon behind me. Mm. And I would just kill insects. I would kill oh. them and I'd throw <laughs> them in a wagon and I would run around like the grim reaper. And that was like something I did for fun. And I don't know what that says. I just need to get that off my chest. That's just a weird thing I did as a kid. So that was different for me then. I didn't do that in the Bay Area. I, kinda I was like, going to say, you might be featured on an episode of Criminal Minds if you, if you had kept that up. Yeah, no, I, and I deservedly so. And so it was just like, wow, I really did have psychopath serial killer vibes. I was going to be in sales. I should have known from that day I was going to Right. <laughs> that's the profession I'd end up in. I love it. So, so let's, let's take us back to San Rafael. You played baseball throughout your high school years and went on to play for Occidental. Was the, was the plan always to play sports in college or like, was that just something you started to figure out once you got into high school and started playing, you know, at the level for college? No, I, I mean, I always wanted to be a major league baseball player. Like I was yeah. a diehard Braves fan. Um, I played two years of minor league ball. Um, yep. And so that was like always what I wanted to do. That was always the plan was to go play baseball. Like I was, my identity was all around being a pitcher, left-handed pitcher. Like, you know, whenever I'd see parents, friends, friends I hadn't seen in a while, I was always like, how's baseball? Like, how are you doing? Um, so I had no like career. Oh, I wasn't thinking like, oh, I could do acting or I could do writing or I could do literally anything else. I was like, I'm going to the major leagues. Mm -hmm. um, and then I realized that I was 5'11 and the shortest guy on my team and didn't throw very hard. So, you know, I, I, I would say I outplayed my talent as far as level wise. I got further than I deserved to. Um, and so, you know, sales was the next logical step after baseball. They're like the correlations between the two are you know, baseball, it's individual sport, but you're on a team. Like yeah. the numbers, it's all about the numbers. Right. Um, same mentality, same process, like mentality, like play well over 160 games, play well over four quarters. And you look back and hopefully you did well. Exactly. So, exactly. But, a lot of, a lot <laughs> but you did, you did study psych in college. So like a lot of people will say like, you know, the business degree is what gets you into sales. How did you, how did you correlate psych into getting into sales? Oh, well, so like I, so the 
I say I didn't believe, well, I thought I was going to be a major league baseball player. What I did like for internships and like work experience was I wanted to work in ad agencies. I liked the creative, you know, stuff. I loved like Old Spice commercials and like the Doritos commercials back in the day. And like, I want to make funny commercials. So everybody in my site classes were like, yeah, I want to help like veterans with like PTSD and like kids from like broken homes. I was like, I want to figure out how to sell shit to people like subconsciously. through advertising like that's what i want to know like how the human brain works the other piece of it was for sports like you know a sports psychology was always very important to me being undersized like i always had to think about how i could be intellectually better than people on the field yeah especially in baseball right where that can that can definitely play a factor where it's not like you're the tallest guy on the field you're the tallest guy on the you know on the team like you're going to be a good player like i feel like baseball is something that like size it does because you're looking at like Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, but like size can definitely not be the biggest factor in the in the, as in a the pitcher, great team of things. Like as a yeah, pitcher, exactly. What you're trying to do is think about how to outsmart the hitter. You're always right. trying to think about how can I be more unpredictable and and change things up. So that was how I would you know that was kind of the bridge. It was I wanted to sell people stuff and I wanted to be better at sports. That's why I wanted to do psych. And it was, psych was just always applicable. Like I was always I was full of self doubt, always like trying to conquer my own issues. Were always my me against myself always so i was like how can i beat this um maybe i can study it and that's that's kind of why do you do you think that paid out do you think the 20 year old corporate bro made the right decision in studying psychology to get into sales do you think that like has helped you in the in the grand scheme of things i mean in the grand scheme of life yeah <laughs> right, in terms right. Of getting into sales like i don't think your degree matters at all like i wanted to be an econ major and then i failed my first final i was like yeah nope <laughs> nope Fuck that like i got a c minus in uh like econ 101 and noped right out of that major so that was the other contributing factor i wasn't really like a big numbers guy right uh, i found so grand scheme yeah absolutely great choice i mean sales is psychology persuasion is psychology so yeah definitely helpful definitely so so you've been very vocal about your first sales job out of the minor leagues and and into the the grand scheme of sales what was your time like at oracle uh, we do have a lot of fans of 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 you on the sh- on listening to the podcast. Can you kind of take us through what it was like working for the big tech giant, the big red machine? Yeah, I'll step back even one further before that. My real first sales job was selling salad dressings for my aunt in local <laughs> supermarkets. Like in eighth grade, I she would just like like it was like a summer job. I would just take a bunch of her salad dressings. I would go set up shop at like a nice market. I'd be wearing a suit and I'd just be whipping up <laughs> whipping salad up. dressings, <laughs> whipping up salad dressings for people coming in. They're like who's this little psychopath looking motherfucker whipping up definitely killed insects when he was a kid definitely murdered insects and i'm just like <laughs> like to sample the blue cheese miss i mean i was just you know i'd kill it with like the divorced you know moms and all that right stuff. right <laughs> but you fast forward like that was what i realized actually set my career in motion but yeah but oracle was a wild place i mean all the stereotypes all the stories you hear they're entirely true um you know it was like a wolf of wall street of sass more or less. And even still, like I missed the true heyday of Oracle. It was probably like the nineties when Oracle was like, everybody was making a million dollars. You know, the sales floor was just overflowing with drugs. Not that it wasn't when I was there. It was just a little more, you know, in your face uh, in the nineties. Yeah. But I mean, that's where corporate bros started. I was walking around one day, like the way the Oracle headquarters works in the Bay area is like, they've got these beautiful glass buildings that are the shape of databases. And then across the street is this shithole called twin dolphin, which is where all the salespeople go. So it's like a frat house. It smelled like a locker room. It was terrible, terrible place, but it was just all the salespeople. So it was like, what are you, what are you going to get when you put out, you know, 3000 salespeople together in a building savagery. You're going to yeah. 
<laughs> and it was wild to me because I was like, you know, I was not fresh out of college. I had two years because I was playing baseball. Right. And a lot of people were fresh out of college. And you're just looking around at these people. You're like, that motherfucker over there blacked out at Coachella last weekend, like got arrested for pissing in public and then came to work the next week and closed like a $2 million deal with AT&T. And they don't even wear clothes that fit. So like <laughs> the modern age of sales, you can do yeah. it over the phone. Yep. You don't have to be a 60 year old grease ball who's like smoking cigars and taking your clients on the golf course every day, even though that right. sounds fun. Yep. You can be a 22 year old who like doesn't totally get it, but like because of the technology these days, like you can sell someone million dollar deals. Right. Uh, so I was like, this place is ridiculous. Everybody here's a corporate bro. And I didn't mean that in any gendered way at all. I meant that in a genuine, like she's a corporate bro. She's a corporate bro. He's a corporate bro. That dude is definitely a corporate bro. Like everyone was a corporate bro there just trying yeah. to figure it out. Like, no one knew what the fuck they were doing, but they were all doing it. Exactly. And it was just, you know, it was kind of a, it was a bonding experience for everyone there because everyone kind of like hates it, hates it, but they love each other. Everyone's like parties together. It gets weird. And at the end of the day, everyone's just like kind of, you know, fuck the machine. <laughs> like you go to work because you enjoy your team oftentimes. Exactly. Exactly. So did you, did you start there as like a BDR, SDR sales development representative? Yep. Okay, yep. so let's let's talk about that grind for a second because <laughs> yep. yeah, because I'm, I'm 23 years old. I was an SDR at my current current company. Like, let's talk about that grind and getting into sales and like what like what type of like mentality do you have to have to get into that sort of phase in your life of, as an SDR? <laughs> oh man, you gotta be you gotta have thick skin. I mean, so Oracle called him business development consultant. Like, I don't know what the fuck. Yeah, you guys have a fancy, I was like, what does that even mean? Title. Yeah, what yeah. does that even mean? It's like, right. I want to go work at Oracle. Oh, sweet tech company. What do I do? I guess on day like eight after training, I was like, oh, I, I cold call people. Now I'm I know what the job is that I just signed yeah. for. <laughs> yeah. um, and so like, honestly, the way I dealt with it was comedy. Like it had to be funny. It was so draining and so soul sucking. Like if you don't make it funny, then like you're just going to be miserable. Yep. So it was like, like, again, it kind of goes off of like, everything here is ridiculous. Like we close million dollar deals. We also just get yelled at and blamed for breaking the internet. And people use words at us I've never heard before and ask me to do things to them that I wouldn't do to anyone, um, you know, with my mouth. And and it's like, it's just like, if you can't laugh at that, then you are not going to last very long. Definitely. Do do you think an SDR is a weed out position for sales? Yeah, absolutely. Totally. And it's the hardest position. It's the hardest role there is, I believe. And most people who are worth a shit in sales have done something like it. Like you yeah. got to eat shit. I, I, yeah. When they took me around Oracle and they're like, this is your rep. Like, this is who you're aligned to. Like he didn't even really turn around to like, look at me. And right. my manager was like, yeah, this is like, just, it's kind of how it is here. You got to like prove yourself. And once you start proving yourself, they'll like become nicer to you and like talk to you more. And that was kind of how I was introduced to it. My field rep would hang up on me in the middle of calls. He'd tell me to do something. I'd be like, okay, just to clarify, gone. Dude was Click, gone. Like, yeah. There was no buy. There was no nothing. Just the like, phone was dead. Yeah. Um, and he was a 65-year-old, like grizzled old sales guy. Right. Named Joe. <laughs> he smoked a lot. <laughs> Never forget his name. Never going to forget <laughs> Joe. I don't want to <laughs> name him because he's still out there slanging for a Fortune 100 company. But right. uh, that's how it was. Like It was just kind of like, you're the young blood. You're, it's going to suck. You're going to eat shit. And you got to earn your respect here the biggest problem I see is just like people jump in ship too early. Yeah. Um, or like, if you're going to jump ship, you need to decide like a sales for you or sales, not for you. Like d- jump ship and go do something, start something else, go elsewhere, do something else. Like, right. Great, understood. Don't go do the same role again somewhere else at the prompt, like some empty promise. Like there's, there's no one's yeah. going to put in contract writing. Like you will be promoted within six months. No, no one, right. no one. It does not work that way. Like 
the thing I will say for Oracle and these big companies is because there's such high turnover and attrition to move up is not that hard. Like I got advanced in like 10 months and they mm. tried to do it in six months. And they were like, again, like you get company bureaucratic bullshit. And they were like, okay, you got to wait till 10. Great. Fine. Like that's still so much quicker than most yeah. SDRs, BDRs. The problem is if you're at like a small hot tech company, people aren't leaving that often and they can't just no. arbitrarily say you've been here for a year. And even, even if you hit your numbers, like they don't just clear headcount above you. Right. It doesn't make sense. So like what I will say for getting your start at a Salesforce or an Oracle or an SAP or whatever it is, the big grinders, like you can get out of that SD ro- SDR role a lot quicker. I agree. So like, you know, it, it is hard and it's like mentally I'm lucky. I didn't have to spend two years. I don't know what I would do with that two year mark, except like be a real squeaky wheel. You have to be like the one thing they don't tell you about is the internal politicking you've got to do to advance at those smaller tech companies when headcount is so limited. You yeah. need to lay the groundwork early at like six months, you're hitting your numbers, like plant the seed, start working on it with your manager. Like, it's not just like, oh, it's promotion time. We're going to interview four of you. Like truth is they've probably already decided who they're going to take, who they're going to take. And that it's groundwork was decided. Like, yeah. yeah, it's formality. And they laid that groundwork months ago. So like, you got to play the game a little bit. Sales yep. is relationships, like world is relationships. Don't just sit there and say your numbers are going to speak for themselves because they're not, not at the SDR level. Go make presidents club. Right. Go close a million dollars. I, 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 I completely so, agree. So, so you you talked about it. You created the character corporate bro while you were at Oracle. What like you talked a little bit about why you wanted to create it, but how was that going into your your work life balance from from like your your quotas you know carrying time at Oracle to wanting to create content for this other kind of, at the time, let's call it a passion project. Now it's yeah. obviously much bigger, but at the time it was just an idea that popped into your head. Yeah. I mean, like, that's all it was, was just like a vine. I was making vines back right. then. It was six seconds. Like how hard was, you know, I'd map out a skit. It'd be like, this, this shot is 1.2 seconds. This shot is 1.1 second, like literally to the 10th of a second. And nobody is expecting production value. So like, you know, I didn't have, while I was Oracle, I had no formal process. I had no, like, I'm going to post once a week. It was just like, shit popped up. Some shit happens. I want to make a quick video about it yep. and move on. One team liked it. Another team liked it. Oracle's a big place. It started getting bigger, you know, on Vine or within Oracle and Vine was disappearing. I could tell Vine was ultimately, now it's gone. It was sunsetting platform. I just didn't want to lose my videos. So I put them on Instagram. You know, that was like 2014, 20, when the calendar went from 2015 to 2016, I was at a new company. Um, and I had two articles that were written about my Instagram account. Right. I don't know. I had a few hundred followers at that point. Like I, it wasn't done. I just was like not really taking it very seriously. I don't know. I had 56 second videos. Um, but that took me from like 300 to 10,000 on Instagram um, over the holidays, like right, like this time of year, 2015. And all of a sudden I was like, shit, people think this is funny that don't know me they don't know ross like this like i have always been the goofy weirdo funny guy of my friend group that's just like the role i play sure. and it's always been oh it's funny because it's ross like that's the weird shit he's a fucking weirdo <laughs> <laughs> but like now it was showing through to people who didn't have context of me right like they just like thought it was funny or like they related to it right so 2016 is when i started to put a formal process in I was like i'm gonna try to put out a video a week i'm gonna write at nights i'm gonna shoot on the weekends and we're just gonna make stuff and see what happens and that's basically been the grind for since 2016 is, I don't know, I've probably missed, you know, I don't know, you can probably count on two hands, maybe one on how many weeks I've actually like truly missed on content. 
uh, and that's where we are now. I mean, it's obviously like different. There's a lot of different things that have happened and so forth, but that was when I decided, okay, I'm going to take this seriously and just go in on it. What were, what were your managers saying when you were kind of, because you, you, you jumped to a couple account executive positions at other companies in, in the San Francisco area, like, were they aware of the situ of uh, the situation or the account I mean, itself? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's a situation. Um, yeah. <laughs> we got a situation here. So right after Oracle, when I left, I went to a new place that was not a fan. Like I didn't do anything there. It was a dark period of my life. It was, I was commuting an hour and a half each way to work and I had to be at work at 7 a.m. So like I was absolutely miserable. I was up yeah. at five in the car yeah. by like 520 driving right. to Mountain View. Um, so I didn't really do much then. When I switched over to Glassdoor, when my commute went from an hour and a half to 10 minutes. Um, so I was still doing it nights and weekends, but I was sneaking into the office on the weekends and doing it there. And eventually I got to walk around the, the park with HR of like, Hey, what's this like corporate bro thing you're doing? Yeah. Um, because they didn't get it. Like what it looked like to a lot of people on the surface was like some douchebag with a phone, like shooting himself like, what's up? Fuck my job. Like this right. Sucks. Yeah. I think, yeah. Surface level definitely look. Yeah. You could say it looks like that, but, but what they realized, I was like, look, I've got a, I will never use your logos. I will never right. use people's real names. Like I am very scripted and intentional about everything I do here. And they're like, Oh, okay. We didn't realize it's like, you have an operation going on here. This isn't just right. like you just going causing mischief in the office. So they were really cool about it. Actually. They gave me like a, a legal document like basically authority to shoot on premises, removing themselves from any liability. Obviously I couldn't use logos, the stuff I was already doing. People right. had to sign waivers at the company if they were going to be there. And all was good for like a year and a half or so. I went through like a pretty big period of growth during that time because I was able to be consistent. I had this dope ass office. Like my numbers were good. Like nobody cares if you're like hitting your numbers and getting your shit done. Right. And then I, you know, I, my videos aren't for everyone. And eventually I offended someone. And one day I just got the ban hammer, aggressive email from our general counsel, just like, we're revoking your license. You're done. Like random Thursday, like, oh shit. Wow. Like, I thought we were homies. Like, can you come with, come at me with that email? Like, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously it's like legal. It's written. So he's got to say, he's got to be a dick about it. Right. Um, and that was when I was like, okay, like this is, people were coming into interviews and being like, I hear Corp works here. You know, like, and for a company like Glassdoor, who is a very progressive, like, break the glass ceiling, like very much like workplace culture, having yep. some dude named corporate bro, like shooting videos that are, you know, edgy to say the least, sure. doesn't really give them, doesn't not much of a benefit for them. So like, right. I get it, totally got it. But I was like, nomad out on the streets. Like, where do I go? I started reaching out to fans being like, who's got an office I can shoot in this weekend. I shot in like 50 different offices around the Bay area. Just mm -hmm. like people out of the good, like kindness of their heart, let me into their offices and I'd shoot. Yeah. And, and a couple of them would, would let the, let the logo show. They didn't care. They didn't care. Uh, yeah. yeah some, of didn't care. Um, some of them wanted it in there. Right. So like that was when we were in our most nomadic kind of phase. Like I had my, my brother was involved. Um, he's the guy who plays my manager. Right. Um, and I had like a couple other friends who would show up repeatedly as characters in there. And with the four of us, three of us, whoever was available that weekend would just go to these offices and shoot and then leave. Do you, do you think Glassdoor kind of, I don't want to say forced you into doing this full time or, you know, majority yeah. of it full time, but do you think it was kind of like the, the catalyst into making you think like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this full time. And, and so that way I'm not attached to anybody else and, and no one else is getting, you know, upset about it and whatnot. Yeah. Well, so like the thing, the thing that was crazy is like for the content, what I was doing, like I believed in it so uh, 
aggressively. Like I was always prepared to lose my job over it. Always prepared. I was always mentally ready for the time when someone's like, you're gone for this. And I'd walk out feeling like a fucking hero. Like I'll go down for what I believe explosion in. Explosion in the background. Yeah. Walking slow double, double middle fingers, like explosions. <laughs> um, but actually what ended up happening is I had a buddy who was in the videos. Uh, he lost a job. He lost a job offer over it. Wow. Um, and it all worked out very well in the end. It was complete bullshit. Honestly, what it came down to was like, they needed an excuse. They might've overhired or something. And we're like, yeah, you're in these videos. We think it might not be a safe workplace if you're in these videos, which are very clearly like acting, like very intentional, very yeah, scripted. Like exactly. if you can't figure out like that, this is like a side thing, hobby that isn't like reflective of who a person is, then like, you're stupid. I don't want to work for you anyway. A meme account, as some would say. A meme account is the worst <laughs> would say. Yes. But when he lost that, I was like, fuck, right. like that was not my intent. Like I didn't want to drag anyone else through this. Um, I didn't actually go full time until about six months ago. And even then I now have a new job um, that I will be talking about in about two weeks. Right. Um, so it's back to like kind of a side thing. It, my new job is very much part of it, but it's the content piece is kind of a side thing. But yes, I was always like, I'm going to make this full time. Like fuck what everyone else says. My parents were like, aren't you limiting like your career you know, opportunities or potential like, you know, options. And I was like, yes, I hope so. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to be tempted to go back to this and do shit I don't want to do. I want to do what I want to do. And if I, every time I'm tempted by these sweet job offers, like it makes it harder. Right. So that was always by design. And now I found out like, now it actually doesn't matter. No one, now that it is like formally a thing, people are like, oh, right. it's a thing. Now it's okay <laughs> that I do it. Right. But there was I love a long it. in between time of four or five years where it was like, had to hide it. I had to hide my identity. I had to hide everything I was doing. People were like the number one Google thing for me, like Corvo Row. Like, who is Corvo Row? Where does Corvo yeah. Row? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No. Oh, believe me, all of us were trying to figure that out, and and it was it was like, well, if you just if you just Google who he is, and then you get to his LinkedIn, it's pretty pretty clear. Like, he doesn't really hide it, you know. Now so, I don't. I don't right. anymore. There was a point where I finally like opened it up. And yeah. I was like, let him let him know. Let him know. <laughs> I don't give a shit anymore. But so you went on to get your MBA at Stanford, and mm-hmm. you did that in two years. There's a lot of takes on business degrees nowadays and i kind of want i want to let you set the record straight was the like was the mba more for like going to school and opening up your network in terms of sales i'm talking about here but like opening up the network or do you think an mba does really help in sales or is there kind of a middle ground i know that was kind of a loaded question but i'll let you kind of take i mean like like i'll be very clear you do not need an mba in any way shape or form to be good at sales or to grow in sales period like the reason i love sales is that it is the great equalizer skill on earth, regardless of where you grew up, what you did, where you went to school, who you are, like you can be a good salesperson. You can go very far. The reason I went to business school is part of it was out of spite. Um, I was sick and tired of, this is going to be a very arrogant statement of working for stupid people and people that were not letting me make decisions that, that I felt like I was equipped to make. And a lot of that was partially because, oh, you're the funny guy, so you're stupid. Like, you're the goofy guy. You're the fool. Um, and part of me was like, mm, if you look at humor, I would like to argue humor is a, a different, higher form of intelligence. But whatever, we can argue the merits of that some other time. So sure. I was like, I want to go to business school because I'm sick and tired of taking orders and seeing business strategies that are so goddamn stupid. So I wanted to go there and get the sticker to prove that I could hang at that level and play at that level, despite the corporate fool that I am. Um, and I want to run a company and I want to be able to ask all the, the reason it does help in sales is like, 
I now have insight into accounting and finance and operation right. and like right. every function of a business that I would need to know if I was going to run, you know, be a CEO. Um, I know the right questions to ask for each of those departments. Um, but fundamentally, like you do not need an MBA to be successful in sales. I just wanted right. to play at a, I wanted to play at like a C-suite level. And, and the network like can't hurt coming from Stanford. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say that. <laughs> Anybody who has got Stanford on their name, like on LinkedIn, I will reach out to, I will get a response. It may not be like, Hey, I can meet with you tomorrow. But like the coolest thing about Stanford is like, I'm in like this now giant family of everybody wants to help everybody. Yeah. That is like absolutely priceless. Yeah, I agree. I think the network, I, I like, yeah, the network at Stanford obviously has its perks and they obviously have some big names and big, big titles. But I even think like utilizing your network wherever you went to school is so important. And, and especially for the kids right now going through college in this COVID era and not having the in-person interactions with their, you know, their counterparts and other students at the school, like just like reach out to anyone that has your school in their, in their LinkedIn bio. Like it's literally, they will like, to your point, someone will say yes, eventually. Yes. And, and, and it might not be tomorrow night at 5 PM, but it might be, let's talk in a month. Let's talk in a few months. Right. Yeah, look, people want to help, like they want to help. Like, there's something intrinsically rewarding about helping somebody who's like younger than you, who's coming 100%. up. Like, I love that shit. I mm. eat it up. Like I coach high school baseball. I eat that shit up. I love yep. it. Like, one day I hope to just go like coach a high school baseball team and disappear off the face of the earth. Like, <laughs> cause I just genuinely enjoy that. I'm like that like mentorship and helping people not make the mistakes I made. Yeah. Um, and a lot of things I wish I had known at the same time you know, about my career choices and what I could do or should have done, things like that. So uh, it's just a miss if people don't try to tap into those networks. Definitely. Now, so kind of switching gears here. So you're, you've come out and said you're, you're spending about 30 hours a week on Corporate Bro and about 20 hours a week doing sales consulting. So like, how, like I think in this COVID era, people are finding more balance. And I, I know like people are about to say like, oh, this guy works 50 hours a week. Like, you know, you, you definitely work more than 50 hours a week. How are you finding that balance in this time and making sure that the content you're putting out is, is successful, but also the work you're putting in on the sales consulting side is equally as successful. Yeah. And I would add that I do those two things and work for work a full-time job. It's about like 70, 70, 80. Uh, And like, I get it because like a lot of times you'll just see me sitting right fucking here wearing the same shit. I haven't showered. Like I'm drinking. But I'm working like this is like what I where I am now. I don't have to go to an office like I shoot my content in this fucking living room right here. This is where like it happens now because I don't have an office I can go to because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Like what I do now is people are like, oh, man, you know, 70, 80 hour work week. That's a lot. But they're thinking about it in a five day period. Like I'm doing that over seven days. Like I just work seven days a week and I stretch it out. It's like, you know, you know, eight to 10 hours a day, seven days a week, like split up. Like I, I work a lot from, I don't know, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. I just do better writing then. Like I just work better then, you know, mm. I'm up, I'm up at eight. Like I'm not like up super early and then I just work like clear through. I, I don't know when I have a random hour, like I live closer to driving range. I suck at golf. I would like to be better at it. Right. I go hit balls for 40 minutes and I come right back and sit right back in this chair. Um, so the balance is just like my way of balancing is I do a bunch of different shit. Way, the way I get really stale and bored is when I'm doing the same thing. Same thing for 80 hours, could not do it. Right. But I'm doing 50 different things over that time. Exactly. So it's really actually quite like nice for my ADD self to just bounce from thing to thing. I smoke a bunch of weed and it's great. And I can still work. (laughs) I'm very functional and no one can judge me. And I'm just here. It's awesome. So like, 
yeah go ahead sorry but no no it is what it, it just is what it is like it sounds like a lot or people are like oh he doesn't have to work like i have to fucking grind yeah. but i want it i enjoy it like that's the best thing i have right now it's like i'm working for myself and doing the things i want to do and a lot of people what what it is discounting is the seven years i spent grinding nights and weekends going to the office at seven in the morning on a saturday people be like yo bro i want to be in your videos you want can i get in one yeah dude be there at 7 a.m on saturday Oh shit, dude! I got like a birthday Friday night. I'm going. I'm Yo, Coachella's that weekend, dude. I can't do that. <laughs> I didn't go to. Yeah, like, I don't do that because I don't have right. I didn't have time. But I right. like, I loved what I was doing. I felt it growing. I felt it becoming something. I was like, this is worth all those like, raging parties on Friday and Saturday to do it. And I don't say that to be a fucking hero. I say that because I just made that choice. Right. Like I just decided that was more valuable to me in the long term. And now I'm sitting here, doing the shit I want to do. Right. Do Do you think COVID has like actually helped? people at least for me like COVID is like without the office commute without the extra stuff going on like we can't go out on a Friday night we can't go out on a Saturday night so I can spend the night editing a podcast interviewing a guest like do you think COVID has actually benefited people who want to do say that side hustle blog meme accounts <laughs> you know podcast whatever they want time I'll climb through this <laughs> screen and just murder you <laughs> put that on a podcast no I'm kidding the answer is yeah totally right. absolutely like millennial gen z like way is to have a side hustle like people mm. like i would be shocked whoever's listening to this how many people are doing what they're like truly passionate about like even at a side like even as a side thing right people like the reason covid is dope and the only reason really is that people are using it right now as an excuse to not do shit and it should be your excuse to do shit yeah get ahead like you can get ahead the, the thing i love right now i love hollywood being shot shut down they're so far up their own asses about like what is good content, what they think is good content. That's how you get quibby because of that attitude. And they're out there, they're out there like, we can't produce anything. We can't make anything. I'm like, right. I'm making it in my living room. Yeah. Like, and you're not going to even take a, you're not going to look at it. And yes, I'm just bitter, bitter influencer, just like trying to go on a map. <laughs> but at the same time, like, that's the truth. Like find, yeah. find a way, be resourceful, find a way. You can find a way to do the shit you want to do. And now is like, there's never been a better time. Nobody's holding you accountable at the office. Like, you can get your shit done and again, whatever hour period you want to put in and do other shit too and mix it in. That's the yeah. best part about COVID right now. But and I do think like to your point, like Hollywood is still trying to figure that out. Like how are these YouTubers, Instagram influencers doing all the content from their living room? Like I'm thinking like David Dobrik is, might be a bad example here. He's, he's killing. Like, he's crushing it. Yeah. And like, he hasn't vlogged in since March, but the, the kid is putting out everything from his house. And like, yeah. he's, a, he's, a, he's a genius. Yep. And like Hollywood is sitting here twirling their thumbs, figuring out like, well, if we put it on Disney Plus, then people might watch it. Yep. Or, or Discovery Plus is coming out soon. We should do that. Like, wh- like why aren't they figuring this out yet? Uh, hubris, arrogance, <laughs> like yeah. the way it's always been done, the, the political, like restrictive bullshit that plagues hollywood the whole agents versus writers versus like producers versus like talent like it's all being rewritten right now which is great like the obviously beautiful thing about the internet is like the democratization democratization of content creation and who can become successful you know like i i almost went to um second city film school instead of stanford until i got into stanford i was going to go to chicago which is where Mm -hmm. like a lot of the greats from snl came from Tina Fey's, Steve Carell's. Yeah, Second City's the real deal, right. Real deal. But they told me, like, genuinely told me, they're like, look, dude, you are further along than most people who come through here. You don't need Second City 
they're like, they literally like, you should go to Stanford. But because I was trying to figure it out, I was like, do I chase my passion and go to comedy, like yeah. film school or go do this thing? And they're like, yeah, you're already doing what people here are trying to do. And that was a weird thing where it's like, well, I want to be like, I want to do SNL one day. I want to do all these other things. They're like, you're, you're doing your own version and you're not answering to somebody else's yeah. creative like constraints. Keep pushing yeah. your thing, build your thing. And like, you get to go to business school and do this. So like, exactly. Oh shit. Like, that's a good point. I am kind of like already doing what I want to do, but it just never feel, you never like sit back and like, damn, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. You always feel like you're trying to chase this thing that you never truly get to. Like, what is a list? What is, you know, I don't know. What does success look like in this? No, I completely agree. But so kind of with the, the like, obviously the news of the vaccine and, and the return to the new normal is all good news. Right. But if like, I'm sitting here doing this podcast at, you know, 6 PM at night, you know, from zoom, we get to do it from wherever, is it going to kind of screw up with the new normal kind of moving forward? Or like how, how does an individual keep that side hustle going once we kind of return to this new normal or the yeah. post COVID normal? Yeah. I don't know. I, I think like we got a long time still, we got a yeah. good ass. We probably got half a year at least before people start considering sending people back to the office. And I think the truth is most employers are going to learn as soon as they like, I got buddies in San Francisco who work at Google and they're like, as soon as Google requires us to go back to the office, we're gone. Like, I think wow. these companies are going to know and realize like the commute uh, people were losing. Like, you know, you're saying like the commute time is a lot of time of your life. Yeah. yeah. Like that is meaningful time. And so people are starting to realize how valuable that really is. And they'll just switch roles to a remote company. A lot of these companies will go remote. I don't think it'll ever go back to the way fully it did. Maybe we'll be like a two, two day a week in the office type thing. But even still, like we will have time and space to do the things that we want to do if we are willing to make the sacrifice to do them. Make I, them a priority. I, yeah, I think it's so interesting though, because I think like the other side of that coin is like people are like, oh, like it's like the office life is going to boom. Everyone misses it. Everyone misses the office back and forth. Like the, you know, like the being there with your coworkers and the all that kind of stuff. And like, it's just interesting to see. I think different areas of the country have a different dynamic for sure. And I think like obviously Silicon Valley, like, has its has its people that don't want to ever do that commute again so i think it's an interesting dynamic as to who's going to go back who wants to go back and who doesn't yeah i mean i definitely miss the office like i definitely miss being with the people i definitely miss like the camaraderie and like the team aspect and honestly just doing something fucking different than being in this room casing Um, back and forth to the fridge into your room to the fridge yeah yeah just freaking out on the couch like you know whatever it is i i I do miss that component. I would love to have that piece again. Cause again, that just goes back to like the team aspect that I genuinely enjoy and being around other people. Um, sure. I don't know how it's going to shake out. Like there's going to be some middle ground somewhere we end up. I agree. All right. So pretty much all of my college friends that went into sales were like anticipating this interview. So I, it would do them like an injustice if we didn't f- do some like real rapid fire sales questions here from, okay. from your content, what you've done and how you've portrayed this character. I, they have some questions. So if you're ready to answer these, I'm ready to fire them off. Are you I'm ready? ready. Well, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Chug that. <laughs> all right. Now I'm ready. Could you hear the clinking ice so that people know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> first off, and like, this is beyond me. What did sales operations do to you? Um, they just slow down deal velocity for like no reason. Uh, like a lot of, it depends on the company, but like our deal desk, like ran through sales ops. Like I needed a 5% approval and I had to wait six hours for some asshole to press a button that said, this is fine. Uh, okay. Uh, and so why would I want my deal velocity? If someone like John's trying to sign this goddamn contract. I'm on the phone with him right now. If I can just resend this contract, he will sign it while I'm on the phone, like on the phone right, with him. Right. But I got to wait for your ass to get back to the desk 
So you can just, just go into Salesforce and click the button. That was one thing. And the other thing is like setting quotas. A lot of sales ops is responsible for setting quota. Yeah. And a so lot of it is just <laughs> super arbitrary. Yeah. It's like, well, we have 300 reps and every rep should hit like, like, and our investors want us to hit this number. So let's just divide that by however many reps we have and say, that's what quota is, even though that hasn't been like based off market demand. It hasn't based, been based off historical numbers. And it's like, it's, it's an imperfect science. I recognize that. But like, why do we always have to miss high? Why yeah. can't we miss low for once? Like, why not give reps a chance to all win? Yeah. Every, you know, like a, a, a thriving sales organization should have somewhere between 70 and 80 rep, percent of reps hitting numbers. The actual truth of what those numbers look like over the US is something like astonishingly low. And I don't remember exactly what it is. I want to say it's like 30%. It's like the inverse of what it should be. It's something outrageous. Right. Uh, I don't know if it's that low, but like, I remember it being not even close to what it's supposed to be. That sounded really low. good. So I'm going to go with that. That sounded really good. No, I know. I know it's drastic. I just don't want to give a number because I don't actually remember what the number is, but I remember <laughs> not even close to 70 or 80%. Right. Right. So an, another, per, another group that you are not a fan of is marketing. Mm. Uh, mm. Like I, I think if anyone's consumed your content, people know why you hate marketing, but I think for the person that's just listening to this podcast and figuring out who corporate bro is, do you want to explain to them why you hate marketing so much? Yeah. Um, I'll start by saying like, a lot of what I say is in love and jest. Uh, yes. There is nothing better than like a good marketing team. Um, 100%. I've heard, I've heard, I don't know. <laughs> I've never had one, but I've heard to figure that out. Um, what those look like or how right. they work. But, but a lot of marketing is people thinking they know how to sell when they never sold in their life. And it's like, the reason sales is so hard is the emotional component of like, and stress of needing to hit a number mm-hmm. and not enough marketers are actually tied to numbers, like real numbers, meaningful numbers that they would be stressed about. So the accountability isn't there. They're like, oh, we're trying to drive, you know, revenue for the sales team. We're trying to drive like leads and this stuff. And what it ends up being is like them trying to land grab credit for things they didn't actually do. Like someone downloaded a white paper four years ago, but the truth is like, it's because of an SDR or like a sales rep cold called someone and got this whole thing going again. And like, it's not because marketing made that white paper and someone happened to like read it four years ago. Like yeah. you should not get credit for that. Right. So what I wish would happen, I wish a prerequisite to working in marketing would to be to at least do an SDR role for six months. Talk to customers. Stop pretending you know how to talk to customers. Like you write shitty emails. Your copy is often weak and like doesn't actually address the way customers are talking to salespeople on the phone. Like we're the frontline soldiers actually having the conversations. Mm-hmm. So stop pretending you are. And like actually live our life for a second before going into your back room and typing up something that you get to send and have no accountability for and not to have like no face on. Mm-hmm. Like we, we tie our self-worth to those numbers. Right, exactly. And marketing if, doesn't have to. So that's it, why. Exactly. So if, if this was a marketing podcast episode, what would marketing reply be with that? What would marketing reply with? Is yeah. That a question? Yeah, cut out for a second. Yeah. Um, I, I think they Sorry. would say- at the high levels, they are tied to revenue. I think they would agree that like, you're starting to see this shift towards this idea of a revenue team, which is what it should be. Marketers, especially like there are some marketers that don't touch revenue, like content marketers and so forth. They're just trying to like put stuff out. Um, and I think it's usually shitty. Like, I don't know, like the, the lack of creativity. It's like to cut through the clutter in B2B marketing is the bar is low. It's so low. Mm-hmm. So when you can't do it, that to me, I'm just like, you're not good. And most like it, it, it feels 
to me like laziness. That's what it just feels like. It comes off like that to me versus like, it's so hard because I don't think it's that hard because I think most B2B messaging is fucking identical. It's all boring. It's all like no authenticity. There's no human element to it. It's just like, here's what Hit we Hit a do. couple buzzwords and you're going to- Hit a couple buzzwords, game-changing, disruptive product and like- <laughs> that, was, that was the best video I've ever seen. Because <laughs> it, it was just so true. Yeah. Yeah. Like use these five buzzwords in your, in your, in your elevator pitch and you're good to go. You should, you yeah, should get I mean, the Yeah. I mean, guilty up. of it too. Salespeople are guilty of the buzzwords. And I 100%. wish salespeople were better writers. Like- yeah be better writers and marketers are generally better writers but that's what they do so i mean it's it's not all on marketing but at the same time i'm just like if you're going to come in and do things on behalf of sales and try to support sales you should understand sales and i think not enough marketers understand sales i think the rebuttal would be at the high levels they do and many cmos do and they are measured on pipeline generation and like revenue attribution but that needs to be a culture throughout the marketing org and it's not I, I, I agree with you completely. I think that's a very interesting take. So kind of switching gears here, because I, 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 you know, marketing, we'll, we'll let them be. But if you weren't in- Sip their kombucha. <laughs> if you, yeah, well, we have cold brew on tap. So it's probably bad by now because it's been sitting there since March. But, <laughs> <laughs> but if, <laughs> if you weren't in San Francisco, where would the best place to be to work in sales? Right now, so Austin would be a great one. I would definitely probably be in Austin or Denver. Those are more my type of towns. Atlanta would be a good one um, now. Yeah, I probably some good would, ones out there. would. I mean, New York's got a ton of them. I don't. I mean, New York's kind of the same as the Bay Area, like same culture, same everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's expensive, but if I'm like picking right now and I had first choice, I'd probably go to Austin. Austin's okay. popping right now. It is popping, and you, you got your buddy, you got your buddy Elon Musk moving out to Texas, and yep. Uh, yep. so I got a place it, to stay. Be nice. <laughs> you yeah. you on the living room couch? You good to go? <laughs> Elon leaves a little mint for me on my pillow when I show up. Oh man, that's it? It's not like a gold bar? <laughs> it should be a gold bar and a couple shares that's of Tesla. Funny. We'll call it a day. I'll take that any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. No. So, so, One day I'll get to him. Yeah. <laughs> so I will get to him. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. If he's if if one day I wake up and he's in a corporate bro video, I think I think everyone can He's my demographic. He is. Absolutely. He is. He definitely follows you on a burner account or something. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be the dream. That would be the dream. Really I love, it. I love it. So what is the, like, this is a question from a, a listener, but what is the best way to gain an edge as a sales rep? I don't think there's any cookie cutter answer or right answer to this, but what has worked for you in the past in terms of gaining that edge? Honestly, like this is sounds so dumb, but it's just like it, the fuck everyone mentality. Like, mm-hmm. and it's and mostly around call fear like call anxiety yeah it's just you got to just dig after that shit like a lot of times you'll roll into these new new company not like a new the company's not new but you you go to a new company for yourself and you find the sales floor is dead and so immediately what you're like you're like fuck i don't want to get on the call like i'm gonna suck like people are gonna judge me but the truth is the only thing they're judging is the fact that they themselves are not on the on the phone and they're sitting there like they probably are judging you but it's really a reflection of them judging themselves from being too much of a coward to do it themselves. So yeah. get on the phone, be the loud person on the floor. Like that is the way you will have a brand very quickly of like that person grinds. That person is like doing the shit they need to do. And you will be like very close to the top in terms of promotion line, because people will think about you putting in the work. You're visibly doing the work yeah. hard now in quarantine without an office. But like, that right. was the big thing for me is like no fear. Fuck it. Cause they're not going home at night. Like, 
damn, remember that call like Court made today? That was insane. Like, what an <laughs> idiot. He sounded so dumb. Like, all they're doing in that moment is wishing that they had the courage to be on the phone. Yeah, I agree completely. I, like, when I was in SDR, we had like our VP of sales puts out all these signs across this SDR position, like the SDR floor, and like where they were. The first thing was like, just it, like if you if you haven't hit your number, pick up the phone. And yeah. like, I took that to heart. I was like, like it's a cold call is like it's hard, but in my opinion, it's so much easier than an email. I hate sitting at my computer writing emails. It's a lot easier like, to rip out cold calls than it is to write emails. Exactly, exactly. You're gonna hit your activity number faster. You're gonna hit, you're gonna get more meetings. You're gonna get more people on the phone. No one wants to respond to an email nowadays. Yeah, and don't don't connect them with on LinkedIn and be like, that's a good touch. <laughs> yeah, I know. God, people still people are connecting with me and trying to sell shit to me as if I have some like company. Like, look at me, look at me. I'm the dude who just sits there with sriracha on is like like within arm's reach i don't have a staff i don't have a software need like why are you pitching me but so like don't do that to other people too like they don't give us like the the whole linkedin connection followed by like pitch is so cringy to me yeah i Super agree cringy. i agree so so uh what's one thing that you wish you could tell every single sales rep out there right now i mean besides sales are dope never ever stop selling, stop selling. <laughs> i mean that's what i would say i mean yeah. I, I would just I would just tell you that it's like very hard to have perspective when you're living this role and you're in this role every single day, but there is, there is literally no more important function than sales. And there is no more important skill than sales. So to have even put in one year of doing it and decide it's not for you, fine. Like that elevates you over 99% of the world, period. End of story. You either build a product or you sell a product. And before you even build a product, you're often selling a product to decide whether or not you should build that product. So like, that's where it all starts. Whether it's an argument with your friends, where you want to go to lunch, service, product, like yourself, you are always selling because sales are dope. Never ever stop selling. And that's what it is. That's the truth. So don't be like so down on your self-worth. Sales is not a cringy word. It's only to the people who are peasants and don't get it. I'm fired up, baby. Let's go. I'm ready to, let's do, let's do an hour long cold. Let's, call yeah. Let's, let's pick up <laughs> let's the goddamn go. phone. Let's go. Some business. <laughs> All right. So what, what, like with, with 2020 in the rearview mirror, uh, we're recording this you know, right around Christmas, but by the time this airs, we'll be into 2021. What does the future hold for corporate bro? I'm doing two major, major product or projects, not products. Um, one, I guess is a product. You don't buy it, but I'm building a sales community right now. Um, the one that doesn't exist right now. And it's, going to be sick and it's going to come out in early 21, like probably in January. I'm going to be like launching a wait list here pretty soon. Cause it's not for like, I literally am not going to allow anybody who's not in sales to be in it. Mm-hmm. No marketing, no ops. Okay. No C-suite. And it's going to be a place that's like a gamified sales community where knowledge share is like rewarded. Like I want to give people money for like their, their, their knowledge. I want to reward them. I want to like sh- try and figure out who the best salespeople are on earth. That's the first thing I will be doing here in the new year. So stay tuned for that. Um, the next one is I'm writing, talked about like creating shit. Like I'm writing a post COVID eight episode web series. I mean, call it a sitcom, call it whatever you want. Um, Netflix ain't picking it up. So it won't be on TV. It'll be on the web. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe they will pick it up after season one, but it'll They'll be pick it up when they hear this podcast for sure. Yeah, exactly. So I'm writing <laughs> that. I've got a couple of writing partners. We've got a writer's room going. We've got three episodes down. Um, and we will be trying to shoot that in March or April, despite COVID, we're going to make it happen. Um, and it's about a small little sales team that is like in a satellite office post COVID. The idea is like, nobody goes to the offices anymore. So they create these little pods like WeWorks 
Yeah. It's a little team that's in like it's the West team and the little WeWork kind of just six characters. Um, and that's what I'm making. And it'll be all in the corporate bro kind of universe. Um, and so that's, that will hopefully come out kind of like latter third of, of 21. Is, is TV ready for a character like corporate bro? Is it ready? Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't even know if it's ready is the right word or if it's over it is the right word. Okay. You know, there's been, there's been, I've talked to a lot of like Hollywood, hollywood people and like the the pushback i get is like the world doesn't really want things with the word bro in it anymore especially hollywood that has its own problems with like the bro world the bro culture right culture you had workaholics um you had the office you had silicon valley but what what they're missing that i'm not doing a good job clearly of selling is the true experience of like the modern salesperson. It's no longer the greasy sales, like old sales guy on the car lot. Like it's the millennial, it's the Gen Z. It's the people who like are educated, who are like grinding, who are just like the people, like the, the millennials you see walking around your city all around. Like it's not this like horrifying, weird profession. Like this is the reality and most people are doing it. It's the largest, oldest profession on earth. And nobody's talking about it in a real way since like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And it's obviously a lot different than that. Right. You know, it's, it's, that's not the world anymore. It's not Wolf of Wall Street either. Right. You know, like someone's got to tell that story because it's real. It's like a very common experience. And so that's what I'm trying. That's my goal in in what I do. I love it. Well, Ross, corporate bro, this has been an absolute blast. I thank you so much for coming on, coming on the podcast. I do have one final question for you that we ask all of our guests and I know you got to run soon. So hopefully you have this answer teed up, but if you were, if you were to write your autobiography today, what would be the title of it and why? Oh, the title of my autobiography. <laughs> um, mm, I have one that came to mind. It's very offensive and I don't want to say it anymore. Um, my autobiography. <laughs> I mean, it would probably be sales or dope. It would probably be the sadness story. Um, it would be something Perfect. with the acronym. Um, and it would be about why we're the most important people on earth, why we're the essential workers and uh, why the world doesn't work without us. But there would be also like a prologue called he spoon fed them. Um, he's, I, I always talk, <laughs> I don't want to go into this too much. This is very offensive, but I, I do believe that like people are just so fucking stupid and you got to spoon feed them. Like there's so many ways I'll do things that like are so obvious, but like so many people still find a way to like, not get it yeah so i always talk about like with with jokes like you, if you go too nuanced people will be like what's happening you have to like <laughs> you have to here comes the train like, <laughs> so the joke is like we, we're always like trying to write these jokes and we're like well we gotta spoon feed them you gotta spoon feed them here like when in doubt spoon feed yeah so i i tell people i'm like when i one day when i quote make it i'm gonna have a golden spoon on my desk oh it just God. says he spoon fed them like oh, that's it. So it. that's letting you in on a little inside joke we 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 have in the writers' room. But it's just, maybe that is the title of the autobiography. He spoon fed them. them. <laughs> like, and they just like, here it comes. Here comes the Berber mush. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Sorry. Well, well, Ross, thank you so much. This was an absolute blast. Keep doing you. Keep like listen to nobody. You're doing great things, and uh, I hope I did a little bit better than Token CEO.
so much better. This is <laughs> much more joyful and experience. Thank you for having me. Well, she's definitely not coming on the podcast now, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. You want to have you want to have intellectual conversations. So. Oh man. <laughs> Peace out, bitches. <laughs> So huge thanks to Ross for coming on this week's show, Corporate Bro. What a, what a, what a gentleman. What a man. That was a, a fun interview and uh, definitely caught me off guard at some points. But be sure to go check him out on Instagram, LinkedIn. I'll leave all the links to Ross and Corporate in the description of this week's podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at NormalGuyLazyEye so you can see clips from this week's interview and some bonus content as well, some hints on some new guests and all that in between. Um, if you guys are enjoying this podcast, it would be really appreciated if you could leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That's what helps us get seen by other people so that we can get to more listeners and everyone can enjoy the normal guy with a lazy eye. But that's enough for my shameless plugs. I Again, I appreciate you all so much for listening to this week's episode, and I will see you all next Wednesday.